Hi, you are listening to Eternal Stance. I hope this message inspires you to live in light of eternity. I, uh, when I was a kid, I was about eight years old or maybe nine, and we were too poor to actually buy any kind of like toy guns, so we made our own. And our our little game of like chasing people with our own little guns, it got more sinister than that because we we started to like shoot birds down, and like that was something that. Okay, unlike, unlike Paul's story yesterday, mine does have a redemption you know, plot at the end. Um, but it got pretty sinister when we started to do that, and we constantly were playing war games. If you, uh, we were too poor to really have any other toys, so we'd spend until 1 or 2 a.m. in the morning on the street playing war games. That was just our thing that we did. And uh, honestly, like everyone wanted to be, the reason we did it is because there was something in us that wanted us to be heroes, right? Like we wanted to fight a good fight. All the guys were like, yeah, yes, that's right. And then the girl lady's like, what? <laughs> like, <laughs> but in us, there was this, you know, me and my brothers were like, okay, we, 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 we are warriors, you know? And uh, the problem was though, nobody wanted to play the enemy. That's just something that like nobody really wanted to fulfill the role. So we all settled on the newcomers on the block, uh, on the kids that didn't speak our language. They spoke Russian. We spoke Moldovian. And there was this like family that, that these three kids came to their grandma right across the street from us. And they spoke Russian. And there was like a, a guy that was a little bit older. And then there was two sisters that were younger. So we've decided that they invaded our city or invaded our streets. So they were essentially our enemies. So every single time we would see them, we would chase them. Um, I've repented, I promise. But like, the amazing thing was that this went on for weeks until one day we've sort of cornered them and we, we literally did this. We got a string, um, you know, and we kind of tied the road. And then the, when they started to kind of like go around it, we kind of sort of tied them with this rope, which I don't think it's illegal, but like, I promise we repented. And now since uh, the, the only problem with this whole plan was that we didn't really plan for what's after that. Like we didn't have a plan for like prisoners of war or anything like that. So like, okay, so we caught them, but what do we do with them now? And my brother is just like, oh, we'll just let him go. And I'm like, no, like we have worked really hard so many days to catch our enemies. And my brother, I remember looking at me, he's like, Slavik, you do realize this is, this is just a game. Like, you're just, like, going a little bit overboard. <laughs> um, if you hang with me, like, you know that I tend to have a, uh, there's a side of me that tends to go overboard at times. Um, and I was just like, and I was just so mad about this. And I'm like, we put all that work in. And you just kind of let them go like that? And uh, my brother's like, so I just let them go. They're, they're also, like, they're just new, you know? I never understood the impact or the, the, the psychological, maybe, damage that we sort of, did to those kids until I came to the U.S. And now I happen to be the guy didn't speak the English, English, and I happen to be a foreigner in a new city. And that was not a pleasant experience to say the least. And then I feel like the Lord sort of, you know, showed me what it's like to kind of, but of course that was a game. And uh, after a while we started to make friends with them and it was great. Have you ever made friends, friends with your enemies? Thank you. Like, this is awesome. That should be celebrated. If you start to find common language and common ground with your enemies and you start to reach, them, uh, to, to reach to them and 
this is, this is awesome. The only person or the only enemy you should never make friends with is Satan and his dominion. And the reason for that is because they started this whole thing. We fell because of their temptation, but they actually rebelled against God initially. So there's no redemption for the enemy. But what's interesting to say is that I don't think we realize that when it comes to God, we are enemies. You see, we are enemies when we start to align ourselves with the enemy. By default, every single time we take a step with the dark kingdom, a lot of people, they think that they can be sort of neutral, right? Like between God and, and Satan. Like, I, I don't serve either one of them. You're serving Satan. There's no such a thing. You either serve God or you are serving, uh, serving Satan. Now, you might think that you're serving your own kind of desires and all that, but Satan works through your desires. He works through your corrupt nature to, to, to destroy you. Now, I understand this is a big statement. I'm going to do some work here trying to explain a little bit further. What I'm trying to say is one of the reasons that we, we don't understand what we're going through at times when you are so overwhelmed and you feel like, hey, I am going through depression and everything sort of is kind of clouded and I don't really understand what I'm going through. Can I tell you that you are at war? You have an enemy. The moment you decided that you're no longer serving the enemy, Satan, and you've aligned yourself with Jesus, they're, 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 you became a, a target to be attacked. And the enemy will go after you with his whole like force that he can. Now think about this. When, if we think about war, now I understand a lot of times we're so desensitized to war. Maybe we played a game as kids. and like, oh, war is so fun. Warriors, hey. But war is nasty. War is not pretty. War is war, uh, where, where murder and rape happens and poverty and starvation. You know, just go, you know, for the sake of this and, and go and Google, you know, 1940s and the World War I, World War II, and you will see the pictures of that, of people starving to death. War is not pretty in any way we can describe it. Now, I understand we, we, we are on Facebook and we kind of get desensitized. Oh, there's war in Iraq and this has been going on for so long and, I, you know, in, in Afghanistan. And, and we get desensitized. But what I'm trying to say is war is nasty. It's, ho- it's a horrible thing to go through. So when we come with this lighthearted thinking like, oh, you know, I guess I'm at war with the enemy. No, the enemy wants you dead. The enemy wants to destroy you. The Bible puts it this way. The enemy is, 1 Peter 5 it says, that stay alert, watch out for the great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So this idea that's like, okay, well, don't go a pet. Uh, don't go and, and, and pet an, an, a lion. Like if a lion roared, you don't go like, yeah, can I pet the lion? I remember I was in Mexico and this, is, this actually happened, which is weird. Not a lion, but a scorpion came into the kitchen and all my girl's like, oh, I'm going to go get it. And I'm like, no, she did not know what a scorpion is. And she was actually going to grab it. And I'm like, no, you know. And we, we killed it, obviously. 
but like in the kitchen, which this is this is crazy. But like these are things that are deadly. Now, of course, if you had a lion in the zoo, like I get that. But like for the most part, even in the zoo, sometimes this is still a wild beast. So the Bible, it doesn't, I think a lot of our culture thinks of the enemy as like a guy with red tights, you know, and like the, the pitchfork, exactly. But in reality, the enemy is more like a lion. He, he seeks whom to devour. So can I tell you that you should take this thing seriously? He's out to destroy you. And he is not only at war with you on one front, he attacks you from three different fronts. So it's not just like, imagine, you know, if you know anything about war, usually you have your kind of like line of defense and then you have the enemy on the other side. But imagine fighting the war on three fronts in front of you, right? Or imagine being surrounded on three fronts and you have to fight. Wouldn't you feel cornered? You would, right? So what the enemy does, now, when, when I mentioned the moment you become a Christ follower, the enemy will be after you. He's gonna be full after you. Think about this, when, we, when it comes to people at war, have you ever seen any movie where you saw a line here and a line here and they're fighting and these guys are trying to get behind to kill the people that are already dead? That makes no sense. The fight is more intense where people are fighting and they're alive. So when you are dead in your sin, the enemy is not after you. When you are dead, when you are, you know, partying and you are, you know, just full blown into your sin, you're probably, because people are like, oh, the enemy, Satan is attacking me. It's like, no, nah, it's probably a handicapped demon. But like, because one thing you have to understand about Satan is that he cannot be at all places at the same time. He can only be in one place at one time. So most likely, whoever's attacking, it's probably one of his demons that's attacking you, if we're talking about spiritual warfare. So, so the enemy is not going, and trust me, if you're, if you're dead already, he does, he's not concerned with you. The moment you, you start to raise your head and say, you know what, I'm gonna live my life differently. I'm gonna walk with the Lord. I'm gonna stay for, I'm gonna stand for truth, peace, justice. I'm gonna carry what God has given me. This is when you become a target. So the enemy is after you. He fights you on three fronts. The first front is spiritual warfare. This is kind of like the most kind of like in your face. If you had a nightmare, if you have been demonically attacked, you know what that's like. I remember specifically one time I was, I was actually sleeping and I used to have sleep paralysis. I think that's what it's called. But I think it also had something to do with, with the spiritual side of things because I would wake up and I was completely paralyzed and I could feel there's something in the room. And like, until I started to, to pray in tongues and like I started to declare, you know, I started to like, until, and then you just kind of sort of break off of me and I was able to kind of wake up. But it was scary. If you've ever seen a demon possession and a, a deliverance rather, you understand, that, you know, that demon, de demons are not, they're not something that you play with. I remember 18 years old, this was the first, I was, I was leading a prayer and there was this kid that came in and, and we started to pray for him, long story short, and, and this guy just started to manifest, right? Like where every single time I would say the name of Jesus, this guy would just twist in weird ways and he's literally 115 pounds and he's throwing six of us around. And the moment, like, no, you can pray, right? You can pray and like, 
oh, I'm going to pray for God to take care of my car, and then that gets resolved. Like, maybe it was God, maybe it wasn't. Maybe. But when you have the situation, I was the oldest, mind you, in that place, and I'm like, what do I, like, I know how to preach and all, but like, how, how do I deal with this? I've never seen this before. And I remember I would just stretch my hand, and he would just calm down. Or he would just yell out not to pray, which is weird because, and there was voices coming through his, his, now a lot of people can say, well, that's schizophrenia. I'm like, well, I don't know because every single time we name, uh, name Jesus, that's when he actually would start to manifest. Or anything that had to do with Holy Spirit. So after an hour and a half, he sort of breathed out and you know, just became still. And then kind of like, he had no idea what really happened. And then after that, we start to talk and he's like, Bro, it was so weird where I tried to say something and he would take my mouth and say something else. This is not something you play with. I remember, like, I was flying home and le- I slept with the light on for, like, about three days after that. But, like, <laughs> but I remember going to my dad and say, Dad, this is real. And my dad's like, yeah, well, because I've heard so many stories. But until I actually experienced it on my own, then I realized the power that it is in the name of Jesus. You know, and that it just really, so if you ever dealt with nightmares or if you ever dealt with that, you understand that this is not something that you play with. And the next front he's attacking you on is through your own flesh. You have a fallen nature and your body's constantly running to the things that he thinks is comfortable. Your old nature constantly pull, like when it comes to sexual sin, you know what I'm talking about. How difficult it is to break that apart. How difficult it is to say, I will, you know, keep myself or my eyes pure. I will not go there, like, my, my, my thoughts. You know how difficult that is. And the third, wor- the, the, the third way the enemy is attacking you is through the ideology of the world. Yeah, ideas that have a huge, you know, <laughs> impact on y- your thinking. I remember going to my dean of college here in Northwest, and I was like, you know, I was thinking, because I had a conversation with him, and I was like, I was thinking that if I just pursue truth, and he looked at me and was like, why would you ever do that? That's horrible. And I'm like, what do you mean? Like, you pursue truth, because it's truth. It says, Slavic, a pursuit of truth outside of pursuit of Christ is useless, because you are so prone to deception. You can't, you know, and I remember yesterday when watching that movie, when Pilate looks to Jesus, what is truth? Uh, is in front of you, and he can't see it. And I remember what his wife, remember it says, and unless, if you don't see it, you won't be able to hear it. If you, if you, if, if you, I don't know exactly how she said it, but in a sense, it, thank you. If you don't see it, no one will be able to convince you of what truth really is. Truth is a person. The only person that claimed to be truth is Jesus Christ himself. He said, I am the truth, the way and the life. And all of us, all of these like truth seekers, they're like, I'm just so spiritual. I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual and I'm looking for truth. Well, have you maybe investigated the only person who claimed to be truth? Jesus? I remember Lee Strobel is the atheist who was such a famous, you know, like he was a writer and when his, his wife became a Christian, he was just like, divorce. I can't live with a Christian. This is horrible. He says, I'm going to spend two years investigating Christianity and prove her wrong. After two years, he became a Christian. (laughs) And they wrote a whole bunch of books. Uh, One of them is The Case for Christ. You know, I recommend for, uh, he investigated Jesus. He's like, okay, well, this this actually did happen. 
And there's a consensus among the scholars that, hey, there is a guy named Jesus that, you know, was crucified. They made sure he was dead. The body was missing. And then 500, I think 15 people claimed after that they saw Jesus resurrected. Now, you see, they might have just had a hallucination. Hallucinations don't happen to 500 people. And if you saw a hallucination, if, let's say if all of us here, there's about 80 of us, maybe less, maybe 70 of us here, if we decided to come up with a lie, would you be willing to die for it? Would you be willing, your whole family, to be in the dens with lions for the slide that we came up with? Because I'm not willing to die for that. But these 500, some 15 witnesses, they claim, and you know what they write? They say, hey, if you don't believe us, go ask all the people that, who saw Jesus after. Why would anybody write that? if they're trying to cover up for something. And that's kind of like Lee Strobel's case. Like when I start to realize Jesus did exist and there was a missing body and I know he was crucified. And the only explanation that I have is this is a supernatural, you know, event in history that we celebrate today, which is the resurrection of Jesus. So, so he is attacking you on all of these fronts. And, and if you don't get an understanding of that, you'll go through life thinking that the only reason you cannot move farther with, with your relationship with Christ is because you're just so lame. Well, news be told, you are lame, spiritually speaking, until Christ comes and brings you to life. You can't see truth until he opens up your eyes. So, so we have to understand that we are a war and we have to, now, to be clear, we are not at war with Donald Trump. We're Hillary Clinton. We're not at war with Democrats or Republicans. We're not at war with countries. We're not at war. To be clear, we're not at war with our families. We're not at war with our friends. We fight against principalities that, and, and, and things of the, they're not even part of this world. Our fight is not against people. It's against demonic influences. Our fight is against our own flesh that's constantly, uh, constantly trying to pull us back. And our fight is against the enemy and the ideology of the world. The sort of, you know, things that start to infiltrate your mind. Uh, there's a passage I love so much. It says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You know, this is what we're at war with. Now, the good news is that even though Adam sinned, Adam walked with, Jesus, uh, with God, Adam was able to just have that conversation with him daily. Now, I want to make it very clear that some people don't understand, but Adam was made for a relationship with God and other people. And in, in the midst of the day, he would walk and he would talk to God. And the moment he sided, with the moment he started to agree with the enemy, he became part of that plan and he became an enemy of God by default. His sin made him an enemy of God. This is why when we talked, when we, when we saw this, this passage in here, that while we're still enemies of God, Christ came after us. Now what happened with Adam? He had, you know, how many parts are we made out of? Body, right? Soul and spirit, right? So body is what God took clay and he, he made, you know, uh, he, he made us in his image, be clay or dirt. I don't know what it was, but uh, <laughs> what I can tell you, I wasn't there, so I don't really remember. But like, <laughs> but what I do know is that God molded out of out of dust, out of clay, or whatever you call it, 
and then he breathed his spirit into him. And when his spirit entered into this kind of like creature, he became alive and then a soul was born in that, in that moment. Now when Adam sinned, he spiritually died. So he could no longer talk to God the way he used to walk with God before. His action set in motion something that we're still, you know, going through. I wonder if Adam would have still done that, if he would have seen the rape, the murder, the lies, the, all the stuff that we have to put up with. I wonder if Adam would have, would have still agreed with the enemy if he would have seen through a quarter of time the destruction that you know, his choice and his wife's choice would have on all humanity. And my question to you is this, is I wonder if you'd still go and side with the enemy on some of these things because you don't think it's a big deal if you understand the destruction that that's going to bring in your life, in your family's life, in your future uh, family's life. I wonder if you would have still done that, but we're here, so we have to deal with it. He brought sin into the world in the sense that like he started to agree with the enemy. He started to disagree with God and agree with the enemy. And that is the downfall. You see, because of that, because we are under the curse of sin, we start to sin daily. We started to rebel against God daily. And sometimes even every single minute of our lives. If you have not met Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, you are still walking in rebellion towards Him. The book of Romans, I, I really recommend if you've never encountered Jesus, if you don't really know what the Bible is about, read through the book of Romans where it talks about how God made Himself evident. But we chose to ignore that. So what, I'm, what I, what I want to tell you is that we sin daily. Now, sin happens to be kind of a, of two natures. There's the Bible, what the Bible calls a transgression, which comes from the word a transpass. So for example, if I went and slapped Paul, that would be a transpass. That would be a transgression against someone else, right? So a transgression is an action that we do, okay? And then there's another one, uh, which is called iniquity. And iniquity is a sin of an, an attitude of the heart. So think of a transgression, something that's out, outward, something that we do, something that we, maybe we, we spoke something, where we punched someone, or we stole something. But the problem is, even if, you, even if you take care of this, there's still iniquity in our hearts. And that's why Jesus is talking to all the Pharisees, and Pharisees are like, yeah, sleeping around, don't do that. Uh, stealing, nope, no thank you. Like murder, never done it. And Jesus is like, you don't understand. Maybe you haven't done the transgression part of it, but there's iniquity in your heart. Every single time you hurt, hated your brother, that's murder. It, it, except it's not, it's not an action. It's iniquity in the, inside. If you've lusted after a woman, same thing for, for the girls. If you've lusted after a guy, you, you understand that that is iniquity in the heart. So on one hand, what we've done Action, a transgression has to be paid for, but iniquity has to be removed. The iniquity has to be transformed from the heart out. So the way you change your actions is by changing the heart. Because you can stop and you can think that you're so great because you're no longer talking bad about people, you're no longer sleeping around, you're no longer you know, you know, going and getting in fights and all that, but you can still be as corrupt inside as you were before. You've just internalized it. 
And now you're gossiping about people and hating on people and judging people and, and so on and so forth. And, and you're just kind of tearing people down with your words. That needs to change from here. Now, in the Old Testament, the way they signify this, you're going to find this in Leviticus 16, and it's just, they have a whole procession. And, and what they would do is they would get two goats. You guys know this story, right? Like, they get two goats, and this was before Jesus' sacrifice. This is, you know, years before Jesus came on the scene. So they were doing a symbol of what Jesus one day will do on the cross. Does that make sense? So they would symbolize that, but they would, they would get two goats and one goat that the priest would just kind of like cut up and put it on the altar and they would burn it. And that was a payment for people's sin. Now remember like that verse in Romans says that all of us have sinned and the, the payment for sin is death. So what they were signifying is someone or something had to die to take on the sin of all the people. And they would do this through a ritual, like a goat, and they would put this on to signify the ultimate sacrifice, what Jesus is gonna do. Does that make sense so far? And they would take another goat and they would take and put, so, so the, the first goat had to do more with transgressions. People kind of like out, outwardly doing you know, sins. But then the second goat would have to do with iniquity. They would just declare all the sins like, for example, hate, uh, things like lust, right? And they would put all these sins, they would sort of kind of like, I don't know how to tell you how they put those sins on, but it was more like a, like an incantation, you could say, uh, a prayer. Um, I don't, I don't, there's, those are not the same thing, but use your imagination. Like, they would just kind of like symbolize that they would take the sin of the people and would put it on this goat, and you, they would drive it into the wilderness never to be seen again symbolizing that they, God would remove iniquity from, you know, his people. Now you can find this, and I'm going to read just two verses, because obviously there's a lot going on there, but Leviticus 16, verse 15 says this, then Aaron must slaughter the first goat as a sin offering for the people and carry its blood behind the inner curtain. There he will sprinkle the goat's blood over the atonement and cover and in front of it, just as he did with the bull's blood. So this idea that like they would, you know, take the, take the blood of the goat and it would shed it for, for all the people and it would be offered as a sacrifice. And the second one is, verse 21 says this, he will lay both of his hands on the second goat or the goat's head and confess over it all the wickedness, rebellion, and sins of the people of Israel. In this way, he will transfer the people's sins to the head of the goat. Then a man especially chosen for the task will drive the goat into the wilderness. As the goat goes into the wilderness, you will carry all the people's sin upon itself into desolate land. Now, I, this is a little bit of history, but just stay with me for a second here. I, I'm trying to illustrate a point. And the point is, that if you ever heard anything in legends like the kind of the term that was sort of coined called scapegoat, this is where it's from. Jesus became both of those things. He took your transgression and he paid for your sin, but he also took your iniquity. And he was driv driven out of the city and he was brought not just as a sacrifice for your sin and mine. Now, why would God have to do that though? You see, what's special about Christianity, 
what a lot of people don't think about is Christianity makes sense. Well, of course I can say that because I'm biased since I'm a Christian. But think about this, okay? If we're talking about any other religion, when they say God forgives, that makes God corrupt. Imagine if you had a family member being murdered and you go to the courthouse and the judge is like, I feel especially grateful today, so I'm just gonna let this one go. I'm just gonna forgive them. Wouldn't you think that's a corrupt judge? You would. How, well, wait a second. First of all, it's not against you. You need to be a right judge and punish this. So this idea that we can have a faith and where God just sort of lets things go, that has a huge hit on God's character. Namely, he's no longer just. How would you feel if on judgment day, God's like, yeah, Hitler, totally fine. Murder some six million Jews. I just feel extremely graceful today. So I'm just gonna let this one go. That would destroy God's justice. So we can remove any faith that says that God just sort of let things go because that would just make him unjust. I don't want to serve a God that's not just. So God cannot, here's, here's the, the, the conundrum, right? Like the difficulty. If you're graceful, you cannot be just. If you're just, you cannot be graceful. They, those two things are violently you know, at odds with one another. Enter Jesus. Jesus is the one who said, I'll take your punishment so God can give me your punishment so he is fully just, his, his justice is satisfied so God can give us grace. And God gave Jesus, you know, he gave Jesus the punishment what belongs to us. That's why Christianity makes sense. Because Jesus paid for our sin. So, so now, it's not necessarily the Christians are perfect, it's just Christians are forgiven. None of us are perfect. When, when people you see on TV, they like, oh, you're just holier than thou, like you think you're so great. Not really, I'm just as sinful as everyone else. Given the right circumstances, I'll be just as sinful as everyone else. I'm just redeemed. My sin was paid for. I've said this before, but I was talking to my mom, and my mom's, you know, she's 62, she's having a lot of health problems, and every single time I come home, I'm like, Mom, I need to, to know that you understand the gospel. I need you to understand that, that, that it's not by our own works that we get saved. And she's like, well, Slavik, I kind of understand it. And I was kind of explaining to her, you know, and there's on the table, there's like some, some mandarins and uh, a napkin. And I'm like, mom, do you know of anyone that died with no sins? And she's like, well, everyone is sinful. And I'm like, do you think that everyone died perfect? It's like, well, Jesus died perfect. I'm like, yeah, except Jesus. It's like, well, no, everyone, everyone has sins. And I'm like, okay, if they had sins, how do they enter God's presence. Mom was like, God, oh, that's a good question. You know, like, <laughs> and I took that, that orange and I put that napkin over it. And I'm like, mom, this is us. And we're covered in sin. And this is Jesus. He covers us. 
And we get saved not because of how rotten or unrotten we are here, but because we are covered and God sees us through Jesus' you know, sacrifice, through His righteousness. And we are righteous because He is righteous. We are holy because He is holy. We are all of those things because what He has done on the cross. That's what Jesus has done for us. But then the question becomes, if Jesus has set us free, if Jesus has paid for us, why do we still struggle with sin? I don't know if you've noticed or not, but we've been doing church for a while, and some of you are still coming here for confessions and, and prayers. Shouldn't you be perfect by now? Like, shouldn't you just like, why, are you, what's up? Like, are, why are you guys still sinning? I'm amazed. I am so disappointed in y'all. Because I'm extremely disappointed in me when I sin. So, 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 so if Jesus has done all that, why do we still struggle? Why are still families addicted to drugs? Why are our are, are, you know, families so dysfunctional? Why is our city still in so hopeless? Well, <laughs> the reason for that is, yes, it's true. On the cross, when Jesus was resurrected, he legislated our freedom, but we need to carry it out. Think about this. The U.S. government has how many branches? Three. One of them is called the what? Legislative. Then you have executive and judicial. So Congress says if you drive over 65, which a lot of you do, um, you're breaking the law. That's the law that they've put in place. Okay? Especially Paul. <laughs> and when you break the law, the, you know, Christmas lights, they that you think are Christmas lights, but they're very expensive. You know, they, they pull right behind you. When you break the law, there's the executive department that comes and enforces the law. And when you go to court, you just meet the third judicial, well, the third rather branch called the judicial branch, where you are judged. Now Jesus legislated our freedom, but the church is the executive like, branch of this amazing thing called, you know, redemption. God could have made us all perfect, but somehow he chose to partner up with us. And even though we declared the victory on the cross and the laws that he put in place, we have to carry them out every single day. We have to declare and resist the enemy every single time he comes close. We have to die to our own desires and passions and crucify our flesh daily. And we have to take down and pull down every single thought and imagination that exalts itself above Christ. We have to walk out, is what I'm trying to say, what Jesus has legislated. Now, uh, here in the U U.S., as far as I understand, when, when Abraham Lincoln kind of signed that document that said, okay, from now, on, no one, from, from now on, no one can actually own a slave. Did you know that some 18 months after that, people still own slaves in some portion of the country? You know why? Because they didn't hear the good news. And because of that, they still lived like slaves. And people come, I'm like, what are you doing? There, there's freedom all over the country. That's exactly what's happening in the church when, when God has legislated freedom. But then we don't carry that out. And, and you don't no longer have to be addicted to pornography because you are given freedom in Christ. Amen. You no longer have to walk the way you used to walk. You have power now. Look at this. I, I, love, I love this passage that, you know, in... in, in um, I believe it's 
James 4 says, so humble yourself before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Now, we don't resist the devil in our own strength. No, every single time he comes close, we say, devil, you're, you're a defeated fool. You see, all that the devil has is an empty gun. You're supplying the bullets. The, the only way he's able to attack you is because you've been supplying the bullets. You have to say, from now on, this is, this is, we're not playing this. Uh-uh. Not today, Satan. Right? We resist the enemy. Now, this is the interesting thing, though, because a lot of times we kind of do the opposite, where we're told that when it comes to the enemy, we have to resist him. But when it comes to our temptation, so remember the three fronts, right? Like you have the enemy that's attacking you, we have to resist him. But then you have the flesh, okay? And the flesh temptations were like the old way of doing things. Oh, you just love to gossip. I, I know I do. Like, literally, like, and I'm like, every single time, I'm like, how many times have I tried to put this, this to death? And it's just not going anywhere. Where, where when it comes to lust, how many times have you been trying to kick this and it's just not going anywhere? So 1 Timothy 6, 11 says this, but you, Timothy, are a man of God. So run from all these evil things. Pursue righteousness and a godly life along with faith, love, perseverance, gentleness. Fight the good fight for the true faith. And then 1 Corinthians 6, 18 says, run from sexual sin. No other sin is so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. But we twisted that. We're like, I'm going to see how, I can resist this. I can Netflix and chill with whoever because I can, I can, I know my boundaries and stuff. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says when it comes to your own flesh, either put it to death or run. Don't try to say, okay, well, how close can I get to the cliff without me falling in? Like, am I still there? Right? Like, that's not what the Bible says. Run. But when it comes to the enemy, it says, you would think you'd be the opposite, right? Like, when you see the enemy just, Booking for the hills. No, that's not what he says. It says, when he comes to enemy, you resist him. But when he comes to your own fleshly thing, put it to death. And run from it. Run from any temptation that is, that is, you know that you have, like for example, when I walk into a, a store, especially like uh, gas stations, right? I'm never really tempted to smoke because I've never smoked. Right? I never, I'm, I'm tempted sometimes to, sometimes to drink because I've never really got drunk. So I'm like, Maybe you should try at least once. I did get drunk once by accident, but you guys know all the story, and I'm not going to go into that. But, but like, I never get tempted by these things because I haven't done it. But the enemy will put a temptation exactly designed for me. And he'll tailor make it just for you. So people are like, wow, you struggle with that? That's weird. You must be some kind of pervert. No, the enemy tempt you with something that he knows he can lure you in with. So run. Resist the enemy, but run from your own fleshly sort of, when you, you okay, look, you might not have power to say, I'm not going to think about that. I'm, I'm not going to think about a pink elephant. Like, because like, that's exactly what you're thinking right now, right? Like, you can't maybe do that, but you get to choose if you spend your Sunday night partying or in, a, in the house of God. You, you get to choose what kind of podcast you listen to. You know, you get to choose what kind of music you listen to. And that will become part of you. Now you'll be tempted to, towards that. Not kind of 
leads me to the next point, and that is fighting the culture. Fighting, not necessarily the culture, because that just sounds wrong, but the ideologies of the culture that are ungodly. Fighting that. How do you fight that? What we have here, it says, 2 Corinthians 10, 3 says, we are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. How do we, how do we deal with the ideology that's coming? We tear down any thought that exalts itself above Christ. I have to do this constantly. Like today, I got so convicted. I watched this video and it talked about how this guy that I, that I found on YouTube says that he took a break away from the news since 2016. And I, I can honestly confess to you that this has become a problem in my life. Where I've been so entrenched in politics and the news of the day that like I would wake up and I just check the news and I would just get so mad at this person and this person and this person and my whole day would start to like unravel because I was mad at things, people that I don't know. And the locust, while preparing this today, spoke to my heart and says, Slavik, you need to give this up. And anyways, this guy goes on to say, like, he took a break from social media and accounts that he used to follow about news and all that. Now, of course, like, we, we all saw this morning, there was, you know, so many attacks in, I think it was Sri Lanka. And it's just so painful to watch that. And my hope is not to, for us to kind of, like, close our eyes and shut our ears and not hear anything. My hope is to understand that, what, be really careful what you're filling your mind with. Be really careful who you listen to about hating this person or this party or, or, or this political system or this or that or that. Your allegiance is not to any of that. Your allegiance is to Christ. And the moment you start to, to agree with the enemy, the moment you start to make allegiance with the things of this world, you are, in, a, in essence, start to make God an enemy again. Pull down everything that exalts itself above Christ. I think what I hate about the news cycle is how it, it taught us how to demonize a certain group of people. Namely, the group of people that you disagree with. Be really, really careful on what, who you listen to. If you've been watching the news before you've been opening your Bible, there's a problem coming. Start filling yourself and start seeing people from God's perspective. Again, our fight is not against people. It's not against flesh and blood. It's against principalities that are setting themselves up and are working with that. Now, I'm coming to a close here soon, and I want to just tell you this, that in Romans 5.1, going back to our, our text, says this, Therefore, since we have been made right with God, or in God's sight, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand and we confidently and joyful look for, to sharing God's glory. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials for we know that they help us to develop endurances or endurance. And endurance develops strength of character 
and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us because He has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with His love. You know who's going to help you in this fight? The Holy Spirit. I think the Holy Spirit is not given enough credit. The Holy Spirit is not a power. The Holy Spirit is a person who has powers. The Holy Spirit can be grieved. The Holy Spirit will walk with you day in and day out. We used to sort of not bother you, we'll start to bother you. We used to yell and gossip and do all these things and the Holy Spirit would come gently and say, hey, this is not Christ-like. And he start to work in you from inside out. And he start to change you and transform you. But it starts with understanding that God sent his son Jesus to pay for your transgressions and to take away your iniquity. So as we come into a prayer, I want to tell you this, that God will do two, three things for you. He will forgive your sins. If you repent and say, Lord, I, I've been trying to do this on my own, and I, I, I haven't been able to figure this out. God will forgive your sins. God will give you a new nature. We used to get you into sin. You'll start seeing, like I've had friends of mine who were addicted to meth. And literally within the night, that addiction went away. Now, most of the time, that's not the rule. Most of the time is usually a long process. But I've seen people de- being delivered the same very night. God will deliver you from yourself. And God will remember your sin no more. He, now to be clear, God doesn't forget. He just chooses not to remember your sin. This is the amazing thing about the gospel. I want to read this, this passage. This is written about 600 years, I believe, five to 600 years before Jesus. In Isaiah 53, if you read the whole chapter, I don't have time to kind of read the whole chapter, but it it kind of foresees and shows what Jesus is going to do for us one day. It says this, Who has believed and who has heard us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he, Jesus, grew up before him like him being God, like a young plant and like a root out of the dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected. And for those of you who were here last night and watched Passion of the Christ, you understood that very well, how much he was despised and how he was rejected by men, a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, yesterday we're watching Passion of the Christ, when, when they were beating him, I had to walk out and get food. But I had to walk out because I couldn't stand it. Like, I don't, like, I, and then even when I came in, it was still going on. And I was just trying to, like, I was sinking to my chair because I was like, I can't watch this. And Isaiah talks some 600 years before Jesus comes on the scene. And he says, the people will hide their faces from him. There was nothing pretty about the crucifixion of Jesus. It says, he was despised and rejected by men of men of sorrows and acquainted with grief. 
and as one for whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs. This is the hope. And carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions and he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that, was brought, that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. And we are like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And he goes on and on and on and on and talks about Jesus. But what I, what I want to tell you is that he carried your sins so you don't, you don't have to. So I asked Paul, he's, we, we're going to get together um, in a minute or so. And I'm going to ask you if you can. If you're not comfortable, don't do it. But I want you to maybe find a friend and come up front with. And we're all going to sing that song that we sang on Friday, One Righteous Man. And as we sing that, I want you to, if, if, if you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior for your life, I want you to say, Lord, would you open yourself up to me? Lord, as you open yourself up to Lee Strobel and he became an advocate for your kingdom, Lord, would you, I, I am open to hearing your voice. If you've been walking with Jesus for any amount of time, but you're still struggling, would you take your, your sin and say, God, I want to bring my sin to the cross. Lord, I know you already paid for this. I am tired of carrying this. God, and I want to be healed. God, I don't know how to deal with the enemy. I don't know how to resist him. Lord, would you, would you, you know, I love this passage. I think it's in Isaiah. It says, when, when the enemy comes, the spirit of the Lord will, it says, when the enemy comes like a flood, the spirit of the Lord will rise up against him. That is what the Holy Spirit is going to do in you. Every single time the enemy rises up and goes against you, the Holy Spirit will say, no, uh -uh, we're not doing this. I know your old tricks. So I'm going to call you to prayer. I don't have a specific sort of like, you know, moment. I, what I want to ask you is, is step out of your comfort zone and say, God, I just want to encounter you tonight. And uh, we're going to sing that song. And we're going to close in, in, in prayer. But if this message has spoken to you, or I would love to pray with you. And Thank you for listening to Eternal Stance. My hope is that these messages will help you to live in light of eternity. If this podcast is a blessing to you, would you share with other people? Thank you in advance, and until next time, God bless you.